So yeah, this is our last week of the One Peter series, so we called it Elect Exiles. So we're in chapter 5. It would be good to read it through together. Um, and uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but I want to look at a couple of places in the ESV, but we'll do that a bit later on. Um, just different translations, and, and sometimes actually... Uh, we're good? We're good. Um, so we're going to do that. And uh, yeah, I think it's just, you know, it, it's good to... We've called this morning Humble Resistance, um, and uh, I think really we're looking at, at humility, we're looking at eldership, we're looking um, at, at the church, we're looking at suffering again, you know, all the way, all the way through, um, and, uh, and so we'll be doing that. But let's read it together first, so 1 Peter 5, uh, 1 to 14, so it's the last chapter of the book, and, uh, and then we'll go into it in more detail. So, to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen and final greetings with the help of Silas whom I regard as a faithful brother I've written to you briefly Encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, that's uh, the church in Rome, we'll talk about it a bit later, but chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Anyone done that this morning? And uh, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, for, thank you for this book in the Bible. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for the example of his life and ministry and the, the words that you inspired him to write. Lord, this series has just been so helpful, Lord, to um, just be able to adjust to this world and, and the suffering and the challenges that we're facing and going to face. And Lord, we need you. Lord, I need you this morning, Lord. I, I feel fairly helpless, weak, tired. And, and yet, Lord, I know that when I'm weak, then I'm strong, Lord, because you can move, you can do things. And so I pray you'll speak through me this morning. Lord, encourage us as a, a church um, to trust in you more, Lord, to depend on you more and to rely on your word, Lord, to lead us through this life and to, to bring us into a place of deeper intimacy with you, Jesus. Come by your Holy Spirit this morning, I pray, and, and just equip us, Lord, for life, equip us for eternity. Lord, use us as you want to, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, I'm feeling tired this morning. Anyone else feeling tired? I don't know why, just back's aching, you know, it's been frantic setting all this up. And, 
and we're talking about humility, so it's, uh, it's apt. Um, so God's, God's goodness and timing is always right for these things. So I feel kind of uh, humbled already this morning um, to, to preach this passage. But um, we're going to look at, look at it in chunks. I always like to sort of break it down. So I've got the slides should come up. So if we, um, that's the first, the first section there. And it begins with talking to the elders. Um, so I'm, I'm going to preach to myself for the first five minutes. And, uh, and you can listen in on that, uh, which will be good. And, and I've, I've talked about godly leadership equals service. That's really what he's saying here is, is to be a, a leader in the church. And, and not just elders, but any, any leader in the church. You know, it's, it's any person in the church, really. When you read the um, there's passages in, in Timothy and Titus about eldership and the requirements for eldership, actually, you look at that and you think, well, that's what we want all Christians to be like, in essence. And it's about being faithful and... And, and wanting to serve others. And so um, it says this, So to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. You know, Peter has, has seen Jesus up front, you know, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. And he also saw Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so, so Peter's had this insight, this glimpse, if you like, of the sufferings of Jesus. You know, he saw it firsthand, watched him, him taken off and, and killed and crucified. And and at the same time, saw the glory of Jesus, saw the miracles, saw Jesus transfigure uh, in front of his very eyes and, and realized that he really is the Son of God. And so he's coming from a, a good place. You know, he, he's someone who is a witness of God. Um, and he's, he's speaking to the leaders in the church. And he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And that term of shepherds, it's, you know, it's very... Um, it's a very familiar phrase, and I think we can become too familiar with it. And, and you know, what is a shepherd? And the shepherd looks after the sheep. The shepherd goes out. It's not like a cattle herder that drives the, ca- the cattle from behind. Actually, the shepherd goes out in front. The shepherd protects the sheep. The shepherd watches over the sheep. And he's giving them that, that command that it's not, a, it's not a glorifying job to be a shepherd. Um, it wasn't something that was um, seen in high regard. Um, shepherds were were often out in, in, the, in the wilderness a little bit. They weren't really connected to society in the, in the same way. And it's, it's a shepherd, I think, nowadays. Oh, a shepherd, that sounds like a nice job, you know. And uh, you see them on TV and things like that. But actually, no, it's not that glamorous being a shepherd. And, and the shepherd was responsible. And it says, not because you must. It says, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. And it's really easy sometimes to aspire to leadership, to be a little bit empty, I think, oh, I could, I, could be a, I could be there, I could preach, I could do that, I could have a big church. And, and, and ambition and, and things can creep in. And we've seen it across the church. I think God is working through humbling churches, humbling leaders in particular around the world. If you've been looking at all the things that have gone on, there's lots of very prominent leaders that have been humbled over these last few years um, because they were lording it over. Um, the people that were under their care. And I think God is not ashamed to do that. He does not mind bringing people down because they are dishonoring his name in the way that they lead. And so it's a, it's a warning, really, um, to say, because you're, you're willing. You know, the, the reason I'm an elder is because I felt God called me to it. And in that calling, he gave me a desire to want to do it. But there's lots of warnings you know, about elders and that we'll be we're going to be judged um, more than, than people who are not elders and, and we're going to be responsible. I'm responsible for the people that are in this church in the same way the rest of our eldership team is. We're going to give an account for you guys and um, that's a huge responsibility that 
should make us really careful about how we look after people and how we treat people and how we preach and, and speak the truth. Um, and so there's a, a willingness that, that he's encouraging here that we do it because it's a privilege. It's, it's something it's big, but it, it's also a real privilege. I love to get the Bible open and, and, and study it and, and see what God says through it. It's, it fills me with life. It fills me with joy because that's what God's called me to do. And so it's, it's hard work sometimes, but it's, it's a privilege and it's something I want to do. And it's something that we as elders, we actually love what God has called us to do. And so um, it's very easy sometimes, though, when things get busy and pressured to suddenly think, oh, this is hard work, isn't it? Oh, why don't people do that? Why am I doing this? Why am I sorting out the sound this morning? And plugging in cables and things like that. And it's like, it was a real kind of test because it was like I wanted to be sitting here praying and getting ready for this morning. And, and I thought, no, I'm preaching on what it is to serve as an elder. And it means coming in and doing what needs to be done so that we can have a good morning and, and enjoy it. And so it was a real little test for me this morning. Thank you, Lord, for that. And, um, and then it says, um, not pursuing dishonest gain eager to serve. I mean, we've all heard of prosperity gospel and the big preachers and American things, but Peter's writing this 2,000 years ago. You know, and these churches weren't wealthy or whatever, but even then there was this possibility of, of opportunism, um, dishonest gain, and, and getting into leadership because you, you actually got something out of it. And so it's just a warning there, um, but eager to serve, eager to, to come and, and take care of people and do that. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And again, it's another part. I think, oh, I need to be an example. We as elders, as leaders, need to be an example. And, and that, again, it's the same for all of us. Anyone in a leadership position, the, it's not about the authority. It's about the example you set for those that you're leading over. Maybe as parents, it's about the example. You know, so our children's behavior is so much more caught than taught. Does that make sense? We see them doing things that maybe we do, and we think, oh, no, I've told them not to do that, but the trouble is I do it, and they copy it. And so it's setting that example, isn't it? And, and being a good example. The same in the church, you know, as we, I want a bit of stand here, and, and as Paul did, and he says, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think, oh, sometimes the way I do things, or, you know, if you see me getting stressed and stroppy, it's like, actually, that's not good. I, I want God to change those things so that I can be a good example. And it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And, and it's just talking about that reward in heaven you know again for all of us that is a, a promise that, that God is going to reward us for being faithful with what he's given us and Jesus is the chief shepherd so as much as I feel called to be a shepherd and an elder I'm also a sheep following Jesus and ultimately the people that are put in the care of the leaders of the church are God's sheep they're not our sheep and so our goal is always to lead people to Jesus not to ourselves or our own ambition or ministry. And so it's a good, good reminder, really, for elders to, to just consider these things. And it's a good thing for us to talk about as well. And I think, you know, we want to be accountable. We, we are certainly accountable to one another, and we will challenge one another in things. But, but equally, we want the church to be able to speak. And if they see things that aren't right, it's not, we're not immune from criticism or, or people being able to come and say things. And then for us to consider and to think, yeah, actually, we need to keep an eye on those things so just you know it's worth saying those things I think that at Grace Church we have a what's really good is that we've got a team of elders and and actually we've got different strengths different gifts and it's often people's strengths biggest strengths that become their biggest weaknesses and threats 
And so by having a team of elders with different strengths and weaknesses, actually we can balance each other quite a bit. And we do have some good discussions and we can pull each other into the right way of thinking sometimes because someone's perhaps going off in a particular direction. And so I want you to be encouraged that the multi-site essence of Grace Church and that team of elders means that there's this kind of shared responsibility that actually when you get a single individual who may be very gifted and um, and able to, to lead well, sometimes they need to, to be kept in check a little bit as well to stop the ego and things. So um, I suppose just an encouragement really, just as a sort of pondering the, these passages that I think, I think this church is in good hands and, um, and I hope most of you would agree that, you know, certainly Joe and the rest of the team lead very well. Um, but again, we're not beyond uh, criticism and, and hearing from people as well. So just encourage you in that. Um, it says this in Mark 10, 42 to 45. It says Jesus, uh, again, just kind of backing this out. It says Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He's talking to his disciples. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, uh, to come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, that's the example of eldership, you know, is, is laying our lives down for the sheep and, um, and also for the whole church. Again, I say all these things we can take upon ourselves as well, that we should lay our lives down for one another. Um, and Jesus sets the example. So it's just a good encouragement, isn't it? And it's totally different to the world's view of authority. It's like the people in power, either we you know, slate them because they've got authority or we admire them and want to get there ourselves so that we can be in control and do that. That is not God's idea of authority in the church. It's just about humble service and I'm going to talk more about that. So then he says, to the flock. Um, it's the next uh, slide there. Um, and so that's all of us. You know, Jesus is the chief shepherd, so we all come under that category of flock. But he's talking particularly here, he says, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Um, I think there is something about the, the zealous youthfulness that we, we have, you know, when we're growing up and we, we think we know everything and, and we, we realize as we get older that, that we know less and less. Um, we become more sure of less things, I think, and less sure of far, far more things, if that makes sense. And I think there's just an encouragement there, isn't it? I mean, you see it with our children, you know, how, how much they know, you know, and tell us what, what, how life should go and how fair things should be. Um, but I think there's something about that, that humility. And I thought back to a time when I was in my 20s. I was a fairly new Christian, but I moved to Dorchester where I met Catherine. And um, it, we, we'd started going to a church there, and it was a good church, New Frontiers Church, and we were, you know, getting on well. And there's a really good youth, group of youth. And I kind of got friends with loads of these people. And I was like, come on, guys. We they were going to the pub a lot and things like that. I was like, come on, guys. We should do a Bible study. Let's do a Bible study. I was basically looking for a wife at the time. Um, so I thought if I gathered a, a group of, of similar age people, um, I thought I could get them in the room and then, and then find them the godliest woman in the room, um, <laughs> which I did. Um, and uh, so that worked. But what happened was we had a... <laughs> We had a really good time, and, uh, and it was good. We started studying Romans together. We had a couple of weeks of it, and one of the guys, Dave, who was, who was on it, he, he was um, sort of being trained up by the leadership team, and, and they were a bit concerned because he was going back and saying, well, it was such a good time, and we're doing this and doing that, and Thomas is doing this. And, and I guess what was happening was I, was I was bringing some influence, not intentionally, but um, they were a bit nervous about it they didn't really know me. And, uh, and I got... I got called in to go and see them and, and they said we'd like you to stop 
that group. I was like, what? It's a Bible study with the young people in the church. And I, I know, but we don't know you that well. And I thought, this is so unfair. I'm trying to get a wife here. <laughs> and and I, but I was genuinely perplexed. I was like, look, these kids, they're all ha- when I met them, they're all going to the pub. That's what they did. They were hung out in the pub and things like that. And I was like, I want to I wanna study the Bible. I want to learn about Jesus. And I found it really hard, but I really prayed about it. I really felt God say, I want you to submit to what they're asking, whether you agree with it or not. And I was like, okay, I, I will. And I don't know, it was just really difficult. But I did it, and I think God did something in my heart in that, that I trusted him. I got the outcome of what, what the, the study was all about. Um, got, got married, so that was good. God blessed me in that. But do you know what? It was a difficult thing, and I still don't understand what was wrong with it in, in a sense, and I didn't think we were doing anything, but, but I needed to submit to their better wisdom. And I don't, maybe, maybe we would have led people astray, and um, who knows what could have happened. But it was really important in that moment. And so I'll just say that as an encouragement. It was more important that I did what the Bible said to me, which is submit to my leaders, then I did the thing that I thought this was godly, this is God is in this and everything else. And so I just put that down as an encouragement. And I think it really helped me just grow in my relationship with God and trust him. And so I just want to encourage you in that. Maybe there's things you look around and you think, oh, I'd love to do that or we need this. And, and you have great ideas and they seem godly and, and inspired by God. But the leadership say, actually, no, we're not sure that's right. There's a place to lay that down and know that God will bring it back up again. And of course, in, you know, in the end, I've ended up being part of the team there and they let me preach and things like that so it was good but it was a bit of a test for me so I just encourage you in that um, that we need to to have humility sometimes and particularly towards leadership sometimes it means trusting the leadership in the church when we're not really sure as well and not maybe gossiping in the background and saying I don't like the way they do this or don't like this thing there's something about actually not allowing that kind of talk maybe you need to bring stuff to the leadership it's not that you can't but it's just being care, checking our hearts. Um, you know, if, if you're part of this church, then there is, God calls us to that submission. The same way we've already heard in previous um, parts of this series that we submit to the authorities. And we certainly don't agree with everything they do, but there is something in God about that submission that ultimately we're submitting to him. It's not about the right or wrong of the, the leadership, but it's about our hearts before that. And so just encourage you in that. Um, and he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So clothe yourselves. I think Peter here, he's, he, the way it phrases it in the, the Greek, it talks about tying on humility. And there's something of the imagery of Jesus tying on that towel before he washed the disciples' feet. And there's something real, real humbling about that. And it's, it's like we actually put humility on. It's something we do actively. And it says, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble, or in the ESV, gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And so actually when we submit, when we serve, when we humble ourselves, what we're doing is we're trusting God to raise us up in his time. And he will. But he opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And so Jesus told this, um, this story in Luke 18. It says, uh, something there. Um, Luke 18, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. I mean, you can imagine how well this went down in the synagogue, you know, because it's full of the religious people. They were confident in themselves. He told this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, pretty obvious who he's talking about, and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up at heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so it's just a really good story, isn't it? It's so tempting, and we, we are full of pride, and we are, you know, we do things well sometimes, and God gives us gifts, and we think, yeah, I'm, I'm good at that, I can do that, but there is something about that pride that it deceives us. And we can kind of look at ourselves and go, yeah, no, I, you know, I can judge myself fairly here and I'm doing really well in this. And, and God really doesn't like that. I think he just, he wants us on our knees. And I was thinking about that as I was just worshipping before and, and mentioned this, that it it's, takes weakness to fall on your knees. Like you don't need any strength to do it. To bow down before God, all you have to do is stop being strong and anyone can do that. But actually to stand before God and... God, thank you that you saved me, you know, in, in the sense of, well, yeah, I'm part of your team now. It's so easy for pride to creep in and to, to look at our strengths, to feel strong in the moment. And, and actually, quite often when that happens, we, it can happen for a while. And we can, our strengths can go well, things can flourish. But if we're doing things out of pride, eventually God goes, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that away from you. And yet you can be blind to it. And there's been so many times when I've embarrassed myself by bragging and not realized it in the moment, and then after going, what an idiot. Why did you say that? And it's because I'm proud, and, and, and yet there are other moments like, oh God, I, I'm awful. I just, why did you save me? I can't believe it. And, and in those moments, I just meet with God, and his spirit comes, and I'm like, oh, this is so nice. I don't need to be anything. And that's what Jesus is encouraging here, and it's, it's not being unrealistic about our strengths or weaknesses, but actually recognizing that there's nothing in us that makes us good before God. There's, there's nothing that, that means you are you know, a great blessing um, and the church are lucky to have you. Now, you are a great blessing, and I'm not saying you're not, but it's, that, it's not allowing that pride to creep in where we start to think of ourselves in that way. We're going, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so Peter's encouraging this. And then Philippians 2, I haven't got a slide for this, but we've read this a couple of times throughout the series. And if you want to read it again, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. So think about how we relate together. Who, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Um, God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he became like us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so it's just again, it's that encouragement that God's going to exalt us. And so we don't need to exalt ourselves. We can be humble, we can serve one another, we can take the lowly position um, you know, again, it's sometimes we demand our rights. Sometimes we want the comfy chair. Sometimes we want the best food or the best drink. I'm terrible for this. I love my comforts. I love the nice things of this world. And actually, sometimes it's so much better to go, no, no, you have that. Let me serve you with that. 
and not to be falsely humble, but to say, no, I want to bless you. And, and there's a real joy that comes from just giving other people the good things that we have rather than keeping it all for ourselves or protecting what, what God has given us. Actually, so often what God gives us is because he wants us to send it out and bless other people with it. And so it's just a real challenge there, just to look at opportunities to serve one another in the church and serve one another outside of the church as well. It's a great way to witness. And then in verse 7, it says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Are you anxious about anything at the moment? So much anxiety isn't there in our society today. And uh, it just makes this point that all of a sudden it's like anxiety is everywhere, isn't it? It's like all the the mental health crisis that's going on and things like that. And it's so rooted, I think, in in a loss of direction in people's lives. Um, But I think particularly for us as Christians, and I've really struggled with this. I've had real sort of anxiety over the last couple of years, just not being in control of things in the way I wanted to. Um, But Peter's encouragement here, Peter knew what it was to mess up in life. And so when he says this, cast all your um, anxiety on him because he cares for you, Peter was extremely anxious when he denied Jesus. He really screwed up. And you think what that would have been like for him um, to deny Jesus. And if you think about it, it was his biggest moment of pride when he stood there and said, you know, everyone else will desert you, but not me because I'm that good. And it's like, Lord, I will never deny you. And it happened within a day didn't it and yet that was God's mercy that was Jesus' mercy over him and that moment in the courtyard and Jesus looks over and Peter's just denied him three times the rooster crows and all of a sudden he realises that that brag that he failed miserably that he got it wrong and yet Jesus looked at him and and then later on in the book of John we see at the end Jesus meets with Peter on the water and he restores him says do you love me yes feed my sheep three times he allows him to come back and it was really interesting one of the commentaries I read it said how often would that rooster have crowed every morning that would have been the first thing Peter would have woken up to because where they lived in the rural you know Israel he'd have heard a cockerel all the time and every morning can you imagine waking up and having that reminder of that greatest moment of weakness and so I think he's coming from a place of real experience here that Jesus, you know, really does care for us. And the way that we cast our anxiety on him, it tells us in Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It's prayer that is the way that we cast our cares on him. And the problem is when we get busy and we get caught up in the things of life, we find we don't have time to pray. Anyone else find that? Anyone else find it hard to pray sometimes? Don't get the time, don't have the desire, don't know what to say. And actually when we get, put those things to one side, all of those things that are building up the anxiety, you say, actually, Jesus, I just need to get in your presence right now. What Peter needed was to be in the presence of God and Jesus restored him and called him again for a second time once he was in his presence. Peter realized in that moment it wasn't about his strength. That wasn't what God wanted. He wanted his faith and he wanted his love for him. So how's your prayer life? Does it tie in with your levels of anxiety? I, I think it will do. I think you'll find that. And prayer is hard. It takes time. We're not sat there face to face with Jesus and yet he, we know he's there. 
And so I just want to really encourage you. I, I preached on prayer a couple of years back, and I prayed like mad throughout the week because I wanted to set a good example. And I remember really, because I was just thinking about it, I, like, oh, I need to pray. I was praying for everything. And it was one of the best weeks of my life because I just found God answering prayer everywhere. I found him directing me, speaking to me. And it took effort. And yet it was something really amazing about it. So I just want to encourage you that we're called to pray. We're called to get before God and, and trust him with all of our cares, to put our burdens on him. And the way that we do that is, is by giving them to him. And, and there's a humility involved in getting God involved in your life. I've met so many people who say, well, God, I don't like praying for myself because, well, why would God, I don't want to bother God with that. How proud is that? And I get why people are saying it. That it's a false humility, but, and, and gen- there's a genuineness about it sometimes. We're like, well, I don't want to bother God, you know, because he might be mad. That's not Christian. Now, God wants us to speak to him. I want my children to come to me and ask for things. Even if I'm going to give them to them anyway, it's really nice when they've asked for it and I can do what they want because I'm going to bless them. And, and God's the same. He wants us to come to him and I heard someone say, I think it was Rick Warren once, I think someone said, oh, you know, I, I can't, I, I don't want to ask God about the small things, you know, surely he's got better things to be dealing with than the small things in my life. It's like, everything you ask for in your life is small to God. He's God. There are no big things and small things. He's God. He can do anything. So actually to come with God, to God with the little things and to have that relationship with him going on, what you'll find is actually you'll become less anxious. And so that's why anxiety is kind of called out in the Bible. It's actually saying, no, don't be anxious. Trust God. So anxiety comes actually when we start to do things in our own strength and we start to get flustered and we start to try and be in control and try and make the speakers work and all of that. And it stresses us out. We're going, God, you're here. You're building this church. You're looking after my family. You're going to save my children. You're going to make this marriage work. You're going to sort out this problem at work and when we put those things in his hand and trust him with them he comes through and so to not pray is really to be proud and God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble so when we pray we humble ourselves and so be, be prepared to do that and then it says uh, in verse 8 be alert we have an enemy be alert and of sober mind I don't know if you know it says sober minded quite a bit in this, this book Sober-minded, thinking clearly and straight. Your enemy or adversary is the other translation. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We don't live in a morally neutral universe. Satan is at work. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the saints. He wants to stand before God. Reading the book of Job right at the beginning, that Satan is coming in to give a report after roaming on the earth and he's looking for someone to say, ah, there's Job. He's only doing what you say, God, because you bless him so much. And God's like, okay, I'll take it away then. Because I trust that he's still going to be faithful. And, and there's something of that. I think so much of our sin that we do in secret, I think, dishonors God before the heavenly realm. I think there's something of that, that, that Satan is going about. He is looking at ways to trip us up. And yet he is a chained up lion roaring and so you think about Peter's time they'd have had the Colosseums they'd have had all of that going on and the the lions would be chained up and of course what happens is they throw the people in there in the Colosseum for entertainment and push them towards the lions and then let the lions off the chains and I think there's something of that imagery actually that Satan is a chained up enemy he's a defeated enemy and yet you can get a bit too close to him 
And so what happens is we allow little areas of sin in our lives to grow. And as we do that, we're just sort of stepping a little bit too close to the roaring lion who's looking for someone to devour. And so we hear about ministries getting shipwrecked because people make small mistakes. They do little areas of indiscretion and sin, and then it becomes bigger and bigger, and it escalates, and all of a sudden the whole thing comes down, and Satan devours it. So I was thinking about, you know, what are the areas in your life? Where do you think, oh, it's only, it's only a little thing. I'll just keep that to one side, and, you know, God understands. I'm only a human this week, and I, I think there's a real encouragement here to say, no, put those things to death. Even the, in fact, especially the small things. The big stuff will get exposed anyway, but it's those little areas in your life you know, whether it's a little bit of lust or drinking a bit too much or a little bit of gossip, maybe a bit of backstabbing, maybe a little bit of stealing from here or there or, you know, maybe not working in the way that you should be. There's all these little bits of indiscretion that, that we can allow to fester in our lives that they can very easily turn into something much bigger. And it's like the devil's there waiting to accuse us and say, there you go, I told you. And it's devastating when it happens. You hear about marriages falling apart because someone's committed adultery. But it didn't start with someone just going out and, you know, meeting another person and going to bed with them. It, it probably started with a little look or a little flirtatious comment, a little reaction, maybe something not going right at home. And so I think it's, it's those small details. Actually, God really cares about that. He cares about what you do in private when no one else is looking cares about the things that you read and the stuff that you watch things that you drink and it's not to be legalistic about these things but it's because God wants us to flourish it's because he loves us we had this conversation with our children yesterday we had to tell them off quite severely I had to give them a bit of a shock I pretended to drop them off out of the car by the side of the road and drive off um, because I didn't drive off but they were behaving so atrociously and getting at each other for so long it's like they needed a shock to realize that we were serious about their discipline. And so we had a big conversation about the discipline and it's because we love them. Because they're like, you don't love us. It's like, no, it's because we love you. We care so much that we can't allow this stuff in your life. Because when you get older, it's going to grow and it's going to fester and it's going to destroy you. And God's the same. He doesn't want that stuff in our life because he loves us. That's why he's so keen on getting rid of sin. It's like a little yeast leavens the whole lump. And so it's really important in the church that we can go to one another and say, do you know what, I'm just struggling with that. This little thing, it seems small. And not so downplay, oh, well, you know, everyone struggles with that. No, it's serious. Okay, let me pray for you. Let's talk about it. Let's be accountable. Let's be the church. It's, I've said it before, you know, church is like a hospital waiting room, not an interview, job interview. And you get the difference. You go to job interview, you're looking your best, and anything else. It's like, this has got to be a place where we can come and be real about the struggles and encourage one another and speak into each other's lives. Otherwise, Satan will get in there. So, then it says, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And so, there's also a temptation there, isn't there, to deny Jesus. There's a temptation to just go with the flow. That could be another error. It's less obvious than some of the sin I've talked about. But actually to, to not do the things we're called to do is also wrong. Maybe there's an opportunity to share the gospel with someone and, you know, oh, no, but what will they think of me at work if I do that? And you go, oh, I won't do that. And you step away from it. Or maybe someone says, well, you know, you're going to have to celebrate this thing with us. And if you don't, then there's going to be consequences. It's like, well, 
are you prepared to, to stand up for what you really believe in? If they make it illegal to come to church, are you still going to want to go? And you think this is what was going on in those times, that, that the persecution was rising, and it's certainly happening around the world today. Those things matter. Do we stand firm in those moments? Joe talked about this last week with persecution. You know, that's what is to be expected. Christians have always been persecuted because we have an adversary, the devil. It's not about society and how things are going in our particular time or whatever. Persecution is always there. And so it's being prepared to resist that temptation to deny Jesus, which is what Peter did, wasn't it? As he did deny Jesus, but Jesus restored him. And then he was like, no, I know now that I need to trust in Jesus. That's how I stop myself from denying him. And then it says, and the God of all graces, verse 10, called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And I think this is where I prefer the ESV version of this. I think uh, you should have an ESV slide. So the bit at the bottom is the ESV. It says this, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And the reason I like that version is because I think ultimately what it's saying is actually it's the next life. Now, there is some of it within this life. He will confirm, establish, and strengthen us um, in that. But ultimately, the eternal glory is in eternity Um, because there is going to be suffering throughout this life. Peter is going to go and and be crucified himself. Um, And so he knows that his hope is in the future. His hope is in Jesus' redemption of him and and bringing him to life again for eternity. And and so that's what we look to. And we talked about that again throughout this book is that, that the thing we look forward to is not God sorting everything out for us now and making our lives wonderful, but actually knowing that through suffering we can encounter him and enjoy him and suffer well knowing that we have an eternal reward. And it's quite hard in our context because the level of suffering is still quite minor um, compared to other places in the world. But actually, he was talking about John G. Patton last week and his wife Mary, you know, who went out and they just died for, for the gospel. Would you be willing to do that? The only way you'll be willing to do that is if you really get that your glory and joy is in eternity. If you think about it, it's, it's that eternal promise, it's that relationship with God is the exalting that God is going to do and the redemption that we're going to receive in eternity that, that makes it all worthwhile and actually it's that same thing that will still enable us now to live life in the way God calls us to how do we resist sin it's because we know there's something better in the future and even though that blesses us now to resist sin because it does actually there's still there's still certain things that we're going to be tempted not to do because we'll suffer because we're resisting and so we prepare to suffer knowing that there's an eternal reward. And that's what it means to trust in God and to know that he's called us to something incredible that is going to live out through eternity. And so it's really good to have our minds there and our future hope there because then whatever comes our way, we'll know that we'll stand firm. That's how we do it. And so actually it's really important, even if we're not under that level of persecution now, we could be. And so what is the line? Where do you draw it? when the persecution comes. And so he encourages us by reminding us that everyone else around the world, you know, there are plenty of Christians dying for their faith at the moment. 
And I think there's a place we can get to where we just make peace with that and go, okay, whatever it takes, God, I am going to stand firm. I wanna, I'm just going to sit in your presence. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to speak out for you in a humble and servant-like way. So then he finishes with this final greeting and a further encouragement. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly. And so he, he maybe Silas wrote the letter for him, um, or maybe Silas delivered the letter. Um, this is encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Because, of course, this letter would be delivered, wouldn't it, to this, these churches. And, um, and so he's just, just saying that I'm encouraging you in, that, in, the, in the true grace of God. I think throughout this book in Peter, we've seen the true grace of God. I think that's what I've taken most from this. It feels like we've just gone backwards and forwards on the same things. It's like suffering and sin and persecution. And, but God's going to establish you and God's going to build you into a real, real priesthood and holy nation and... And all this encouragement, and it is the grace of God, is that life is hard, we're going to suffer, but God is good and he's going to get us through it. That is the true grace of God if we trust him and rely on him. And it says, she who's in Babylon, and so they, they think this is probably the church in Rome. Um, so describing Rome as, as Babylon now, because Babylon didn't actually exist when this letter was written, it had been destroyed. And so Babylon is, is often used in the Bible basically to describe the world and the world structures. You see that a lot in Revelation. So chosen together with you. So that church in Rome that um, Paul wrote the letter of the Romans to. And he says, sends you her greetings. So does my son Mark. So Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. That was basically Peter's account of Jesus. Um, calls him his son um, in the same way Paul called Timothy his son. And then it says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Um, I thought, how much do I make of that this morning? Um, all I would say is this it, it sounds a bit mushy for us Brits um, but there's something about family when my family come I quite often just give them a kiss because they come have a hug and a, and a kiss and a cheek and, and you think actually there's something about the intimacy of that I'm not suggesting we start doing this so don't freak out <laughs> but I went to Argentina and did um, some stuff um, out there and, uh, and what I noticed was all the men kissed each other and it was kind of weird but it was also kind of nice because they just saw each other, they hugged each other, and then, and, and I, th- I thought, actually, there's something in that, in that culture. It was not weird for them, but there was something intimate about it and close, and, and you know, there's a real sense of, of brotherhood and community and things like that. And so I think there's just this encouragement that actually the church under persecution, you're kind of fighting for your lives together. And so to see another Christian would be, oh, you know, sometimes I've seen other people in the church, in the shops, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And, we'll get, and I think, oh, I really ought to be excited about seeing one of my brothers or sisters in Christ. And it's like, well, I'm busy. I'm trying to get my shopping done. But it, I think we should be excited to see one another. We should be encouraged. And I think if persecution came, that's what would happen. Because all of a sudden we'd be suffering together. But actually it would build our love for one another. Because we'd be oh, so glad you're here this morning. You know, and you'd be worried, shutting the curtains and checking no one's looking, you know, worshipping together. There's a real intimacy that comes from that. And so I just... I don't want us to be freaked out by those things. I think we should have an aspiration that that's what the church should be, is family. I'd love to see you guys. It's great being part of Avent, and, and you know, I'm sure that will grow, and, and I'd love it for us to you know, have hundreds of people in there where there's just a real sense of family and joy and excitement because Jesus is alive and well. Amen? Um, so there you go. And then his final words are, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And he begins the letter, uh, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, and then finishes with peace to all of you uh, who are in Christ. And I think it's not just a nice final statement, but actually it's a truth claim. Peace to all of us 
the peace that comes from knowing Jesus, our peace between God. If you're not a Christian, you know, and I'm guessing most of you here this morning, I hope, will call yourselves Christians, but if we had a room full of non-Christians, I'd be saying that the reason a lot of the problems go on in your life and in your heart and in your mind is because you don't have peace with God. Sin has separated you from God. It's, it's when we declare the gospel, that's the problem, you've got this separation. But Jesus came and he took that separation upon himself so that the relationship with our Father could be opened again. Do you have peace with God this morning? Jesus gives you that, not your behavior. He takes away the sin barrier. Now sometimes our sin can separate us temporarily because we feel ashamed or guilty or whatever and it's another good reason to put things right and get before God on our knees and say have mercy on me and he takes it every time. Same way Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He does that for us when we repent of our sin. So if you've got stuff in your life that you know you just need to deal with, just, just get it out there. You know, come and see a good Christian leader or a godly person you know and just confess it. It's one thing to confess it to God, but it's something else to confess it to another Christian and see them not judging you for that thing. It, it brings it home that that's what God really does. He doesn't judge us. He says, no, I've judged my son. There's nothing outside of that judgment. It's eternal. Jesus fulfilled everything. And so if there's stuff in your life, however bad, it's, there might still be consequences of bringing it out in the open, but your relationship with God will also flourish because of that. And you take the consequences with it. And so I just encourage you in that, you know, there's, there's always stuff in our lives that you think, oh, I can't, I'll, I'll just deal with it secretly. Get it out there and source it out. Um, and finally, um, we're going to take communion together now. Um, and I just thought about Paul's words. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Because he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Do you see yourself as a new creation? I don't know how long you've been a Christian. But actually, when you got saved, or whatever point that was, God made you alive in a totally new way, totally transformative. You went from darkness to light. It may have felt like a process, but there would have been a moment in God where he made you alive to him in a way that you weren't before. So you're a new creation. It's really important to know that. So we're going to take communion now, and I'll, just, I'll read from 2 Corinthians. It says, from now on then, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So think about how we see one another. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, because they just thought he was another person, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God through Christ, uh, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. This is, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I think that would be my appeal this morning. Be reconciled to God if you're not. And that's the message we take out to the world. We want to go and say that. You need to be reconciled with Christ. I'm sorry you've got all these problems in your life, but your real biggest problem is you need to be reconciled to Christ, to God through Christ. It's why we want to share the gospel. It's why we want to tell others about how good God is and the peace that he gives us. So let's, uh, I'm going to pray. Why don't you stand with me if we could, um, Alice and um, Mel, come back up.
and we'll take communion together. And just, it's a celebration, isn't it, communion? It's of all these things, of all these truths. This is what Jesus has done for us. It's, it's done. It's finished. And we can take this wine and, and eat this bread knowing that, that Jesus has done it all. And so wherever we're at this morning, let's, let's just take a moment and maybe lay some stuff down before him. Maybe you're carrying things you shouldn't be. Maybe there's sin in your life. You just, just need to get out there, find a way to deal with it. Maybe there's a decision you need to make today that just ends something that you know God's been putting his finger on in your life. Just make those decisions now before God. And yeah, Father, thank you that for the God, good news of the gospel. The news of reconciliation, Lord, wonderful message that Jesus has done it all. Lord, that we can be like Peter, we can deny you, we can stand there in pride and you'll bring us down, but only down to a place of humility and repentance and grace and mercy. Lord, I pray for us this morning, Lord. I pray for people to experience your grace, experience your mercy. Lord, for people to repent of sin in their life, things that have been there for years that they know you want to deal with but they just haven't for whatever reason got to it but we need the power of your spirit Lord to help us say no to unrighteousness we need the church to stand alongside us and be family to us and accountability and all the other things as well that you bless us with through one another Lord help us to look out for each other Thank you for communion. Lord, the very word says that we're, we're doing this together. Lord, you didn't just save us individually, but you saved a people. Lord, you gave us leaders and elders and you gave us a flock and brothers and sisters with different strengths and gifts to bless one another, to serve each other. Lord, help us be a church that loves to serve. And Lord, help us be a church that goes out and tells others about this good news. Lord, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. Whatever persecution might come, Lord, it's worth sharing knowing that one day you'll reward us. <laughs> that if people get saved, we won't care what it costs us. Give us that courage, that boldness, Lord. Thank you for this book of Peter, Lord. We've really enjoyed going through it and being challenged and encouraged. Help us to be digging into your word deeper, Lord, to hear from you, to speak with you. And help us to pray. Help us to cast our cares upon you you care for us thank you Jesus for all that you've done Lord as we take communion now Lord you bless us help us to worship you in Jesus name Amen Amen